before Zoom, before Slack, before having a remote business was cool, my guest today was building and prospering as a remote business owner. And in today's episode, he's going to share the secrets, the experience, the things he's learned along the way that can help you build your own remote business lifestyle. Today, we're going to cover things like how to find the best people to work for you remotely. What's going on in the marketplace, the trends, the things that you should be looking out for, how to scale, how to handle adversity, and much, much more. Today, I'm joined by Rob Warner. You're going to love this episode. Grab a pen, grab a paper, grab a cool drink, set back, and enjoy this episode of the Remote Millionaires Podcast with Rob Warner. You're listening to the Remote Millionaires Podcast, the show for aspiring and established entrepreneurs looking to create and scale six and seven figure success online without being chained to a job, location, or computer. That's right. We're going to show you how to build wealth from anywhere. I'm your host, Tom Gaddis. Let's dive in. Aloha, Rob. Welcome to the Remote Millionaires Podcast. How's it going, man? It's Things are good, Tom. Appreciate you having me here, sir. I appreciate you coming. I know you're in the UK, right? What what time is it there right now? Uh, it's five o'clock. It's not too bad. Uh, only nine in the morning for me. So This is much <laughs> better than when you were in Hawaii. <laughs> yes, I started to say, I remember those, those calls were crazy. That time difference is uh, amazing. Um, well, listen, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the show. Uh, as you know, this podcast is really about people that are trying to build a remote style business, right? A business that isn't dependent on them being in one location or a business that they can run uh, while traveling and doing various things, really kind of what we call a, I guess what people call a lifestyle business. So maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what you have going on and uh, let them know why you're on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So for the last nine years, I was building a digital marketing agency, um, but it was never a local agency. We were a white label agency for um, other digital marketing agencies. And so our clientele was never location specific. My team was never location specific. From day one, 70% of my business wasn't even in my country, let alone in my local area. So we, from day one, we're going back to 2012. I mean, before Zoom was Zoom, um, you know, we were running a remote business on Skype, literally on Skype and email. Slack wasn't Slack, Zoom wasn't Zoom. Um, and yet we built a remote digital marketing agency serving customers all over the world. And so we grew that and grew that um, up until 2021, when second half of that year, I took the decision that, you know, I've never done anything for nine years in my life. Apart from my marriage, nothing ever has done nine years. It's like, it's time for me to get into a different headspace. One where I could take all the knowledge and learning that I built about the agency business over those nine years and wrap it into things that were more scalable for me so we could have bigger impact. And that was ultimately software. So we started building software last spring, uh, 2021. Um, started launching it for the first time in the second half of the year. And then ultimately in November, 2021, we sold the agency. So I've moved to be now 100% a software business owner. That's, that's awesome. Cause you know, it is interesting how a lot of times we start off with 
one business plan in mind and those things evolve, they grow, they change. And then because of you know what we do there, we're able to move into other areas, focus on other things, but still the software business is a remote business as well, right? Well, like I mean, you guys don't have corporate offices, things like that. Like your team is remote and all that stuff. Uh, our team, we're, we're having this conversation the other day, you know, uh, I think the subject of religion came up and I think we've probably got most religions around most common religions around the world are represented in our business in one or more team members across i think we've got team members in seven different time zones and five different countries so we talk about diversity and remote absolutely (laughs) as remote and diverse as you can make it yeah well i think that's that's super interesting and i know a lot of people listen to the show are probably thinking like oh man that sounds like super complicated. You're dealing with people in multiple areas and all that stuff. What is like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on just having a team in general? Like what are some things that people can do to kind of, I guess, you know, most people are going to think it's risky, right? Like what are some of the big things that you see that people need to watch out for when they're trying to start and grow a business like this? Like, obviously I'm guessing you guys didn't just appear out of nowhere with team members in all those countries, right? It was probably a slow build. So uh, maybe that's a better question. What were some of the first things that you did to get that infrastructure in place to build that that type of business? So for us, we've always always hired remotely, so it's not a new experience for us. Um, So we've had the advantage of nine years of hiring remotely to be able to do it. And when we separated the agency from um, the software company, what we actually largely did was split the team. So the software guys came, guys and girls came with us. The rest of the team stayed. But the way we've tended to hire is we hire incrementally. We don't hire people on a, hey, come and join us. Here's a golden handshake. Come on in. It's do a project for us. Work part-time for us. Keep you with a job. Test us. Let's get to know one another. See if we like working together. For me, the, the, most people whose resumes are vaguely credible and who can pass some interview filters have skills that are the skills you want. It comes down to personality fits. It comes down to behavior patterns. And so we, we enforce those behavior patterns really hard. You know, we expect people to show up to meetings on time. We expect people to show up with their camera on, with the metrics they're supposed to provide, with their tasks updated, and if we don't, we deal with it really hard and really quickly because it's just disrespectful to the rest of the team not to behave that way. So we get, we kind of gradually let people in and we treat it as a mutual trying each other out. And we're very, very open about that and say, look, if you know, four weeks in, we don't either of us don't enjoy this experience. We don't do it. This is, you know, treat this as a first, second and third date, not a marriage. I think that's so interesting that you say that because we do that as well in in our remote agency because, you know, we I hear a lot of horror stories from people that are like, oh, I tried outsourcing. I tried this. I had a terrible experience. And like one of the things that we've done different is exactly what you're talking about. Like we tend to uh, get into those relationships slowly on a project per project basis. And then we've grown those people over time in our business, right? Like our current project manager she started out as a content writer, yeah. right? But over the years, like she's learned more, we've groomed her. And it's, 
you know, that that relationship building and, and finding those people that are going to hold that standard that you're talking about, I think is so important. And that's not something that just happens with the first person you you talk to or the first person you hire. So, you know, you want to make sure you give yourself enough time to do all that stuff and find those people. Where do you typically find, like when you guys are first starting out, or, or, or I guess even maybe today is a better question, where do you typically find uh, people for your uh, for your businesses? So we tend to find in two places is, is our current hiring. So we will often hire off job boards. Um, we will post tasks on job boards um, as, a, as a recruitment process. We want to find those people on those job boards who are really good, can run tasks. And, and we know from hiring people, you know, even a $100 task or a $50 task, we can find out. Is the communication responsive? Do they deliver the thing they said they're going to deliver it? Is it on time? Even in that experience, we can learn a lot about somebody. And so what we'll often do is hire people through that after two or three test jobs, give them bigger projects, make sure that's still working out, and ultimately look to hire them. Um, Some people don't want that. Um, But again, once we've done a couple of tests, we will be explicit and say, Look, we are looking to hire for this role eventually. If you want to be included in that, let's keep this relationship going. And so job boards are one place. We also have an automated hiring funnel. So for more of our for our roles that are kind of less specific, um, so like customer support, for example, where there is no real heavy technical set needed, we will we run a almost permanently live. Um, hiring funnel, which takes people through several stages of screening um, before they even come into an interview. At that point, you know, interview is almost the last stage of that process. And we find that works really, really well. One thing I will just add to it, though, that we've started doing recently, which I think is a point of pride that we now have, which is different to how I thought before. When we now think we have a hiring need, our current team is nine people which to me is small, to some people may be big, Um, I'm happy if it never crosses 10. And so what we now do is when we think we need a hire, go, okay, what are the deliverables we think we are hiring here? What are the things specifically we want a new hire to achieve? And go, okay, so they're the goals we've got. Let's explore all the ways we could achieve those goals if we couldn't hire that person. And we'll invest a portion of that time up front to go, okay, is there an automation we could build? Is there a different way we could achieve that same objective? Is there a, a, a different approach where it means that objective isn't even needed? And only when we've explored all of those things do we consider the hire. And what that usually means is 50% of the role we've eliminated before we even have the hire. That is and we can push the hiring back. Yeah, that's super smart. You know, and there's there's a couple of other things you said before that that I think are worth pointing out too. You talked about, you know, even the small projects like a fifty or hundred dollar project being able to tell instantly whether a person's going to be a good fit or not. And I think that like that brings up a good point that people should realize when you're talking about building a remote business and hiring people for it. The the interview and all that stuff that happens is really kind of like you said, the last stages, like the entire process from when the person replies to your job posting 
through the end is really like all of that is part of the the interview and figuring out if they're good because you want to see do they, yeah they have good communication all that stuff right in a remote business we're heavily dependent on asynchronous communication you can't always be on a call at the same time you have to rely on people doing the things that they're supposed to be doing when they're not directly in a line of sight with you um, yeah. and the communication becomes very apparent as to whether that's something that they can do or not. Yeah, I, well, I think that's a, a super smart way to go about it. And then the other thing that I found interesting about what you said, you, you know, you say you have nine people on your team, which to some may be a lot, to some may not be as much. I was really amazed at the amount, like the size of a business you can build with a very tight, small team. Like most people are not going to, probably most people aren't going to need to hire nine people, right? Like you can have a, a business. I mean, I feel like, especially if you're in the agency space, like you can have an agency that that definitely does half a million, maybe even get close to seven figures and just have a handful of people to run that, right? Three, four people. And you can yeah. run that, no problem. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think, oh, when you think of those kind of numbers, you think, oh man, a big, you know, you have this big organization, but you don't really, you don't really need that. You can do it with a pretty small, tight knit well, team. Completely. Completely. We've, if I look at what we have around us now, um, the only reason now we have a team of nine is because we choose to allow cover customer service seven days a week mm. so that people who use our software are supported seven days a week. That just necessity means that we can't do that with one person. Actual volume of demand, it's less than one person's role, but we need the hours just to cover time zones and to support right. people. If I look at the, the investment we have, in you know development, part of that is because we're investing for the future. It's not for today's need. That's entirely a choice. If I wanted to service my current customer base, I could half my team tomorrow. Um, we choose, that's a conscious choice not to because we're planning for a future with it. Yeah, that's great. You know, and you know, I know you guys are your software and your agency was all in the PPC space, right? How did you land on that niche? And then maybe can you give listeners some insight into like, what do you recommend that they do? Should they niche down? Like if somebody's going to offer a service, should they, you know, what, what do you recommend there? So um, how did I get into it? Uh, sheer desperation is the short answer. Uh, I was running a company at the time that was dying um, due to, um, for anybody who remembers the kind of like economic crash of 2008-9 and knock on the consequence of that, in one week, it nearly destroyed my business. I went from a full order book to an empty order book and all my clients cancelled in six days, um, which is a pretty scary place to be because I spent all the money at that point. Um, and we pivoted and started running Google ads. And somebody asked me if I'd run, for, run ads for them. And it was like, you know, if you're paying and it's an alternative to dancing on tables, I'll do it because, quite frankly, nobody wants to see me dancing on the table. Um, and one client became two, became three, became four, became several hundred. And it was, it was, I would love to say it was brilliant planning. It was utterly dumb accident on day one. Once we figured out that there was a need for agencies to outsource fulfillment, and I didn't even know the term white labeling existed at that point. That was my light bulb moment. That was, okay, I hate selling. These guys do all the selling, but they need fulfillment. That's my thing. 
And so we went all in on that and we scaled that service because it fit my personality at the time. It fit where we were and we were all able to do it. So if you come fast forward now to 2022, um, I believe that niching down is the only smart way to run an agency. I've had this conversation with many, many people many times. Um, let me I'll explain that, but I'll also caveat it. Rewind to 2020 and when the world went crazy. Um, agencies were generally in one of two camps. If you were niche down in 2020, March, when the world went nuts, you either lost all your clients overnight because they were closed and they shut their doors. So dentists, chiropractors, um, many of them physically closed their doors, turned the lights off and stopped, stopped the businesses for several months. And of course, they stopped all their advertising. So, you, so those guys lost big. If you were in plumbing, you won big because people were kept putting Lysol wipes down the toilet and blocking them. So plumbers were crazy busy. Home improvements went busy because people were stuck at home. E-commerce agencies had the best two years of their life. So accepting the fact that there was an anomaly two years ago that distorted that answer for some people, um, I would always go niche. And I'd do it for two reasons. One is if you solve a problem for a niche, you can solve that same problem again for that same kind of person with the same answer. The level of reinvention needed is near zero. So every piece of learning you have, you get to use many, many, many times over. It also means that you get intimately familiar with the needs, the problems, the pains, the aspirations, the goals, the personalities that live in that space. You learn how to communicate like an insider. And so it's much, much easier to sell. It's much, much easier to retain. And it's a hell of a lot easier to deliver. You know, if somebody says to me, um, can you fire up a dental PPC campaign for me and will it work? I can go, well, the other 149 I've got are doing okay. You'll probably be all right. You know, because I know I could turn them on in a heartbeat. I literally had 140 some other dental campaigns. You can't do that if you don't niche. Everything's new. Everything's the first off. Um, and equally, you can't problem solve. Um, you know, if you've got a lot of the same... You look at a, good, a dashboard of any service you're offering, and you know in a heartbeat, if you know that industry well, you go, that number's wrong. That number's right, because you just know. And if you're a generalist, you can't do that. Does that answer the question? Yeah, that does. And I think you bring up a good point there, too, uh, with the stuff that happened in 2020 and all that as well, which is, you know, when you tell people like, look, you, you know, you should niche down, which is what you're saying, right? Like that's a smart move. That's a good thing. Usually the next thing they always say is what niche should I pick? Like what niche should I pick? And so now there's this, there's this struggle and debate, but the reality is you just need to pick something and, and you can't foresee things that are going to happen. Not, like I find it uh, hard to like try to imagine, well, what else could come that could take me out of that niche, right? Like just pick something and go with it. And if you have to adjust because of some weird anomaly, then you just you have to adjust, right? But like, a former client of mine, when I had my agency and a good friend, um, he built a, an agency up to about 40K a month in the dental niche. But the PPC agency doing PPC for dental. That was it. 2020 here, he pivoted into a home service, used his exactly the same customer acquisition processes, 
um, same delivery, but learn again how to speak the language of the market. It's now going towards a million dollar run rate that agency. <laughs> um, but that's all he's done is he, he pivoted out of necessity. So, but the principles he learned, he was able to apply and just, but he's stuck to one niche since and it's doing great. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great lesson because, like, you think, like, oh, well, all that time he spent at the dentist wasn't wasted, right? Like, he was developing processes and learning things, which was really easy to switch out when he had to pivot to a home service niche. Now, imagine you're just not doing anything. It's much harder to get something going, right? Much easier to pivot. And I've always made the argument that, look, even the whole online, offline business thing could have been flip flop, right? It could have just as easily been some type of weird anomaly that took down the internet. And then all the brick and mortar businesses would have looked like geniuses and all the digital people would have been like, ah, what do we do? Right? Like it's weird because I I see a lot of people on the digital side saying like, see, digital is so much better. Like, I mean, it's not that it's so much better. It's just in this case, you know, it happened to be the other side that got whacked. But we do realize that the internet between where I am in the UK and the US and Europe goes under a big pipe under the Atlantic for several thousand miles. If somebody wanted to dig a hole in that pipe, that's not the most difficult thing in the world to do. If we can put it down there, we can make a hole in it. So let's not pretend that it's bulletproof because it isn't. Um, And I appreciate there's other ways of doing it, but with the kind of data volumes that move, there is always a risk. Um, And even if I look at what we've done, all I've done in the move from agency to software is say, what are the problems that I as an agency owner faced for 10 years that in my time in the industry, I did not see get solved? Can I build solutions for those problems specifically using all my knowledge? Because I know who the people are. I know what agencies need. I know what agencies are looking for and what they buy um, and the problems that they face. So I didn't throw away all my 10 years of learning. I just changed my delivery mechanism to something more scalable for me. Yeah, super smart. And by the way, for anybody listening, PPC is is an incredibly valuable service to offer if you're setting up a remote digital agency. Like we do a ton of, as Rob knows, that's how we met Rob. We do a ton of Google AdWords uh, for our clients and on our space, and it's um it's a great service. And we'll we'll talk about your software here in just a. But genuinely, PPC right now, I believe, is going into a second golden age. Google really? Ads in particular, I believe, is going into its second gold rush time right now. Mm. Um, and you've probably got five to eight years where it's going to be a really good time. And why, why do you think that is? Do you think it, it does that have to do with the, I mean, is that because SEO and the other things are so difficult or just, I mean, what, what do you feel so like is driving I think was, that? The, so that if you look at what the market force is right now in the digital space as to what's happening, um, Thing number one, which isn't new news, but it's been around for 18 months now, is you know the demise of tracking in Facebook and the iOS 14 and 15 problems that that's caused there. Facebook advertisers have a problem. It's known. It's not going away. It's not to say Facebook's bad, but it now means it, the, the people it worked for before, it doesn't always work for now. Mm. So, so there's an issue in that part of the market. If we look at SEO, the page layouts that Google are using for their commercial search results now are so heavily dominated by paid, be it local search ads, Google ads, shopping ads, or whatever other combination of the thing, 
that if you're particularly mobile, which is 70% of the traffic, the SEO, even if you're number one, you're three scrolls down the page. Um, so SEO, while it has a value, it's in Google's interest to keep optimizing the value of that to be less and less and less. And then the third thing, so if we've got those two things going in the background, in the third thing, we've got the rise of the Google AI. And we can't ignore it. Google have invested the brightest brains, huge amounts of money in their AI. It's getting better and better and better. So as a service provider, your role in running Google Ads is increasingly transitioning from being a button pusher, um, managing day-to-day, to being a higher value strategist who pushes some buttons, but probably half of the ones they're used to. So if you can strategically figure out how to extract value for your clients from a Google campaign, you're in the box seat because the demand there is growing and growing. And so I see right now an opportunity um, to be stepped from being a lower value service provider to a higher value strategic partner for customers who need to generate leads through paid traffic on Google, there is no better time. Well, and so what would you say is the skill set a person needs to develop for that, right? So if the Google AI, because I, I think what you're saying there is the Google AI is going to control more and more of how the ads are dispersed and figure all that stuff out because it's just going to be good at it. So what then as the PPC, um, I guess, strategist, like what what skills would a person need to sharpen and learn to be able to get the maximum value out of that for their clients? So I think it comes down to uh, three things. If you actually look at at the highest level, let's look at three things. Thing number one, which is by far the most ignored, is the feedback you give to Google. So let me give you an example of a scenario. Let's imagine you generate 50 calls for your client through Google Ads. Google records that as a conversion if you've set your conversion tracking. So all Google's AI is typically going to optimize for that event, saying, I've got 50 phone calls, optimize the ad spend for those phone calls. Now, you know and I know that of those 50, five will probably be existing customers who are just ringing and hitting an ad because they didn't know what to click, so they hit an ad. Okay, there's no value in those phone calls. I don't want those. Five will be probably phoning for a competitor because they didn't read the ad and they thought they were calling somebody else. Probably don't want those either because they're generally hard to convert. Five of them are probably sales calls from somebody who's prospecting to sell you office supplies or internet service or insurance or whatever else. Don't want them. Now, unless you tell Google different, those 15 calls, which are 35% of your overall are valued equally with the others because as far as Google concerns, they're all the same. And you could go deep. You might talk about price shoppers and those and filter those out. So job number one is feeding back to Google and to its AI the learning of not all these phone calls are equal. Give me more of the good ones and less of the bad. And then the AI can do its thing and deliver more of the good ones. So feeding back that conversion data is thing number one. Thing number two is Google is heavily rewarding click-through rate. Um, The way its algorithms are working, if your click-through rate is really good relative to your peers and your competitors, your cost per click and your ability to get your ads shown, 
ability to get ads shown goes up, cost per click goes down. Exactly what we want to happen. Which means you need to understand two things. One, how to write a good ad and have a good offer. When we're talking about being a strategic partner to your, to your clients, half of that is saying, hey, Mr. Dentist, let's put together a strategy that, put, that is attractive to your prospects, to your ideal prospects, attractive to you as a business owner, that we can present in a way which differentiates you from the others that are advertising. So that strategic piece around creating the offer and translating it into standout ad copy is one of the biggest skills. The bidding and those kind of things, over time, are going to get automated away. But if you can, if you can figure that out, you can write the ad, you can communicate it on a landing page, and you can feed back to Google, you've got the three highest things. Because for context, one of the things we've proven is in most markets, let's say dentists or plumbers or whatever. In fact, I was speaking to somebody earlier on today in the blinds industry, and they were saying in the city that their client is in, um, they've found that there are 80 different businesses advertising on the same search terms as them. You want to win? Position yourself better by, against the people who are around you. Not in isolation in a dashboard, but relative to the people around you, because that's where the competition really happens. So that's why I say it's a golden age. Yeah, that's super interesting. And that's, you know, like, I think the technical side of Google AdWords, which has kept a lot of people from doing it, as that goes away, it's going to allow more people to get into that space <coughs> and have more success because they can focus on those other things, writing It's the almost old school. It's yeah. strategy. It's copy. It's yeah. being a good like, marketer. Yeah. Um, knowing less about button pushing, which for many people is a great outcome if you're a good strategic marketer. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, Rob, maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about this because I know you guys have been, you've been developing some software to help with the Google <coughs> AdWords and PPC. Maybe you can tell listeners a little bit about that. And uh, yeah. So I, mean, I think what we've built, um, we've built primarily as an agency tool Um and it kind of does a few things, but let's, I'll try and tell you what it is. I, I don't want to turn this into a pitch, so so bear with me. If <laughs> okay. you have full right, if at any moment this sounds like a pitch, throw rocks or something and, and I'll shut up because um, I can get enthusiastic about this. Backstory. 18 months ago, I needed a list of um, plumbers advertising on Google. It's practically impossible to get it. Just, I just couldn't do it. I tried every tool out there and I couldn't build a list. So following exactly the method that I've said to you before, I hired somebody on a job board and said, build me a CSV. And they did. And I ran some more tests with them. And after about six weeks of testing, they went, well, tell you what, you keep asking me to run these CSVs for you. Rather than me doing that, why don't I write a user interface and you can run it yourself whenever you want it? <laughs> would that be helpful to you? Of course it would. So we put a user interface and thought, this is kind of useful. Um, I can now build a list on any keyword in any location, and I can get a list of all the advertisers. And over time, we built and we built, and eight weeks later, I hired him full-time. He's uh, now lead developer on my project. Uh, I'm running a team of three developers. So back reference what we said before, not just making this stuff up, it's literally how we've hired our development team. Um, and so we now have a tool that you can say, 
show me real time all the dentists advertising in a zip code, in a city, in the top 100 cities in the country. And it will find you who they are. It will find you all their adverts. It will tell you what times of day those adverts are running. It will tell you whose ads are seeing the most, so who are the biggest players in the market. And if you so feel inclined, uh, you'll find their maps listings and those kinds as well. It will also allow you to do automated email outreach to them with built-in contact lookups. So if you want it for prospecting, you can find all the people spending money on, on Google Ads. And by the way, side tip, they're usually really good clients because they're spending money on Google Ads. Um, That's always the first so, thing we look for. Are they spending money on advertising already? That's what we want. Yeah, that, yeah. if you want the highest value list of prospects on the market, it's these guys. Yeah. So go get them um, and use the automated email sequence. And you can, we can run a week's worth of prospecting in five minutes. Um, but then if you're running accounts, it's the best insight metrics you can ever see about how you compare with your competition. And so you can find out in a moment's notice, you know, you know, my biggest number one competitor has just changed their offer and their ad copy. And we'll get and send you a notification. So you can go, crap, better adjust my ad to make sure it now competes with their new offer and not their old one in real time. So things like that are really useful for advertisers. Clients love it because you're sharing data with them they've never seen before. Yeah, that's awesome. And for anybody listening to this episode, I will put a link on the uh, episode page of this recording. Uh, so you guys can go check out that software if you want to see what it does and how it works and all that stuff. Uh, Rob, I mean, your stuff is always top quality. So I don't care if that sounded like a pitch because <laughs> it's good stuff and it'll help people that are trying to do what they want to do, you know? So awesome. Uh, one, one last thing but before we go, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, you talked about how you started you know, you got in the PPC because you lost your client book. There's been some adversity over the years. You've also had some big successes, right? You sold the the agency side of your business uh, for what I'm assuming was a, a pretty good little uh, payday. You're developing the software. For people that are maybe just starting out in this remote business thing, like what's some advice and some tips you could give them to to help them kind of overcome that adversity and maybe be able to deal with the, the ups and the downs that are going to come, come along? I think, honestly, um, the most important thing is consistency. And uh, that sounds really simple. You will have, as an agency owner, good days and bad days. Um, I, nine years into the business, would still take it personally if a client cancelled or had a complaint. If you think that just because you've got hundreds of clients, that doesn't hurt or doesn't matter. No, it, I still take it personally. Um, you know, I, I don't like that. So that's going to happen, and you need to learn to deal with that and process it and treat everything as a learning experience. You have to treat everything as a learning experience and take ownership of it. And that's the key thing that I always valued above everything else is try and get better at the thing you do every single day. And if it doesn't, if it's a, you know, if your first reaction is to go, that client's a jerk, well, okay, what were the things I could have done that led to that position where he reacted or she reacted that way? Was there a communication I could have done in advance? Was there a, should I have filtered them out before they ever became a client? Own those things, learn from them, and avoid the reflexive reaction. My, my favorite phrase when you get bad news is, oh, that's interesting. 
and it buys you enough breathing space to calm the hell down and open your mind to the possibility that there's something to learn from that experience rather than just a rant to have. And if you can consistently do the right things every single day, most of them, you'll win. I remember being at an event in 2013 when my business was new and I got called out on stage as being an example of somebody committed to a single path in their business and how it made me a specialist above everybody else. We were two years old. In fact, probably 18 months old at that time. We stayed on that path for another eight years. Um, if you just quit jumping paths, that's a big thing because we see it all the time. People, you know, change path far too regularly and you have to relearn everything and start from zero. Stay on the path you're on. You're already ahead of where you would be if you jumped back a different one. That's great advice. That's great advice, Rob. Hey, I appreciate you taking time to come on and share your experience and everything you got going on with our listeners. And if you liked this episode, you enjoyed what Rob said, do us a favor, go to wherever you listen to this podcast and uh, leave us a good review. We'd really appreciate that. Rob, where can the listeners go to find out more about you and what you have going on? So if anybody wants to find me, you can hit me up at our website, which is ppcadlab.com. That's the best place to find me. That's ppcadlab.com. Awesome. And also too, I will put links to the software and all that stuff on the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for listening to the Remote Millionaires podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. Aloha. Now, if what you heard today resonates with you and you want to continue the conversation, then I want to personally invite you to click the link below and schedule your free Remote Millionaires business development call where we'll analyze your business and your situation and show you exactly how to accelerate your results and build a wildly successful business you can run from anywhere. Until next time, 